cliffcentral.com. It is time for an episode of Democracy 101. This is where we are checking in on all of the uh, various things that we need to make sure are in place ahead of the elections. And these elections are, as people have been saying, the most important ones in probably 30 years. I think so. But the ones that were held 30 years ago, you can yeah, yeah, argue, yeah. were probably the most important elections South Africa will ever have. And those days, if you were alive to remember them, you will not forget. Mm -hmm. But if you weren't, it's worth looking back on. And I'm very, very happy today. It's so funny. We, you know, usually when Ryan comes in here, he says to the guest, oh, you can sit about this far from the microphone and uh, this is how it all works. Yeah. You don't need to tell this man how that works. Not this, at all. This guy is an old hand at the studio, an old hand at radio. He knows exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I used to work with him at 702. He's not other than Dan Moyane. How are you, Dan? Morning, Gareth. I'm fine. Morning, Jack. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm Great. Good. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Sure. I Dan, don't, I don't take such... Uh, um, moments, so to speak, and engagements for granted. So yeah. I, I appreciate it. Well, I I watch you all the time on on TV. So you should be doing better things, been... Gareth, than watching me on TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, much, this is what my life has amounted to. <laughs> <laughs> but Dan, I saw you did a tour of the country ahead of the State of the Nation address. Yes, and uh, you you picked up on all kinds of interesting stories, also ahead of the elections. And this is what you, you guys are paying. You know attention. what we realize at ENCA is that. We cover the news 24-7, as you know, mm -hmm. but uh, there are parts of South Africa that uh, hardly, so to speak, nothing happens if you're sitting in a big city like Joburg. Right. You only hear about those areas now and again when there's a, a protest, a service delivery protest, or when something has happened. But generally, yeah. you know, you don't hear much about some of these places. So we decided uh, we would do this. It was a second time. Last year we did the same, but this time we took a different route. Uh, I mean, last time we went on the N1 South via Bloom, but we didn't stop in Bloom. We stopped in, in, in Colesburg, for example. And uh, hey, do you know the place called Tromsburg? It's a mm. tiny little town between Philippoulis and uh, Bloom. Yeah. Somewhere on, that, on that main road, but it's off the main Off the main. So we yeah. took that, for example, I'm using an example, that was last year. Little village. And, and we know we've got water problems, for example. We've got low shading problems everywhere. But I mean, we spoke to a young man last year in Tromsberg. Since he's been at high school, he's never seen water coming out of his taps in that town. When he was small, there was water coming out of the tip. Then you realize how big the problems are. This time around, we went to Bloom. We spent time, a, a few hours in Bloom. Then we went, uh, 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 after Colesburg, we didn't stop there. We went uh, we went south to Kabecha, uh, former Port Elizabeth. We went via Credoc. And Credoc has recently been in the news because the inquest into the killing of the mm. Credoc 4 uh, has now been reopened, you know, and the, and, and the families there are very excited. So we wanted to see what's happening there on the ground. And, and, and then from there, we went to Kabecha. We stopped there. Then we went via the beautiful garden route and we stayed over in a place called Wilderness. And, and you just talk to different people everywhere where you stop. There's one thing that's very clear and you can't miss it. You don't need statistics for that. As you come into a town, the number of young people 
who are milling around and people, when they see a GP registration, the guys will come and hoping for some bit of a donation or something. Mm. You can tell that there's a level of desperation that is going. So that's what we wanted to get the temperature and to get a sense. Of course, the people like you, me and others in the middle class and those who are educated, they've got other problems, but they can express themselves. But the other people don't really want to talk much about their suffering at the moment. Poverty is real. South Africa is a divided country. Mm. Divided, not racially, I'm not talking about race because mm. we've sort of, some aspects of it we've managed well. Yeah. We still have challenges, but overall, class-wise, Gareth, I mean, class cuts across race. Mm. Yep. Class division. I mean, we're and, divided. And, and, you know, if, if class is a problem, and it, it is in this country, then the way out of that problem is to give people social mobility. Right. But we don't have any of that. You mentioned youth unemployment. And when you see it, yourself you don't need the statistician general no, although no. he's doing a good job yeah. you don't need him to tell you no, this stuff. not at all no, it hits you in the face and as we drove into cape town uh, 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 and the, the day before the state of the nation address as we drove in there uh, actually a couple of days before the, the group of homeless people who are there by the castle who've got this uh, little plastic yeah, they've, they've put up their little squatter camp yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and oh. then you drive and you think oh, my goodness it, it, it's not that you should be surprised. I mean, working in the media, we, we deal with this issue. But it just hits you to say mm. we have a problem of growing homelessness and people don't just choose to be homeless. Yeah, Nobody wakes up after they were born and say, one day I want to be homeless. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the circumstances, the environment. So our country has not created over the last 30 years an environment where there is social mobility, as you said, where people have lots of options and where the economy has absorbed both the manual and this, the uh, professional skills, uh, almost to a degree where unemployment will be there. Most countries have got unemployment, but the rates are lower, you know, are, are lower than, the, than us. And most of African countries, if you, if you go around and you see, that, that's why informal sector has grown. But they've been enabled to have a, a thriving informal sector, whether it's through a marketplace, uh, yeah. whether that marketplace is selling veggies or, or cloth mm. or other goodies or crafts and stuff like that. And, and other types of, of the, we, we really haven't uh, done, we do that in pockets. We could do more of that, for yeah. example. Now, Dan, you, you've been in the game for a very long time. Um, considering how massive of an election 1994 was, and I'm sure you had a, just as you have a sense of how the country looks now and back then, is there a specific difference that you've seen between now and back then in terms of people's appetite for getting involved with uh, politics and perhaps even going as far as to vote? Okay, I just want to double click on a number of things you've mentioned there, just asking that question. Firstly, the 1994 elections uh, were, were historic, mm. okay? They were big. It was a big deal. Yeah. And for various reasons, because for the longest time during the anti-apartheid struggle, nobody had the vision of when it will end mm. or when will apartheid be removed and a new dispensation, whatever form it would take, will come in. Mm -hmm. So for the longest time. Mm. So there was hope. And as a young person growing up, after Namibia attained its independence in 1990, 
at the time, you know, today such rumors and speculation go quickly and trend on, on social media. There was no social media then. Oh. There, was, there was a bit of talk to say, nah, the, the Americans and the British are not ready to, to let South Africa go. And apartheid, they'll keep on supporting the regime for another 10 years. So you added 1990 and 10, you thought, will I be around in the year 2000 to see this or something like that? Mm. Okay. So there was that kind of, of sense around it. However, it happened quickly. In 1990, as we know, uh, things moved. Undamning, Mandela release. Moved very quickly. 92, the referendum. Yeah, that speech of the 2nd of February, I was monitoring the SABC English Service News. Then I was working for Radio Mozambique's English Service and listening to the news announcement that this evening the President of the Republic, F.W.D. Clark, will make an announcement. And then we were listening to this thing and it was like surreal. Uh, releasing Mandela, unbanning the movement. What is going on? So, mm. so, so that sense of history. I mean, there's many other factors made 1994 that much more important. Right. And the biggest sentiment was that finally, number one, apartheid is on its way out. Mm. How and what will happen? Nobody knew. Secondly, this is the last. We used to say the last bastion of white domination in power in Africa. And remember, a part of the story that that is often glossed over because it wasn't as romantic and and exciting as the 1990 release of Mandela or the 94 election, but that 92 referendum was a big deal too because suddenly the state, which had been very much disinterested in what other people thought and was going to do its thing, you know, the National Party, the old regime had a very set way of doing things. That 92 referendum, although it was it was you know, it wasn't universal. It was just the white voters. But they all said, no, we're going in the direction of democracy. Yeah, remember uh, when P.W. Botha had a stroke uh, after the state of emergence of 1986, I think about 1988, there was, there was a lot of division within the National Party. Okay. Mm. There were the so-called Verkramtes, okay, <laughs> the, the conservatives, okay, yes. and the Verlechtes, the liberals in, in, in the thing. So, <laughs> And, and, and somehow your big brother, the foreign minister at the time, were like regarded as the Verlechtes. Well, he could go to New York at the United Nations and engage with other diplomats and even uh, talking, not negotiating, but even seeing the representatives of the ANC there, you know, the late Johnny Makatini of mm. this world. So, so there was that division. So when he comes in and then there's a pressure growing international pressure on South Africa, the mass democratic movement internally under the ban of the UDF, putting more pressure, mass demonstrations and all of that, he had to say, we're going to move that way. But he needed a mandate. Because when he, the National Party was elected in uh, all those days, whites-only elections, mm -hmm. he, had, he had one mandate to continue ruling under apartheid. So he had to test it was, it was a way, the referendum of 92 was a way of seeking the National Party a mandate from its white voters to say, can we go ahead and negotiate a mm -hmm. different future for South Africa? And it was an overwhelming yes that came There out. were some people who said no. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, but despite <laughs> that, I was saying, despite that, the Verkramtes, you know, the conservatives said this, and some of the hawkish guys, even in the defense force, like your general Constant Feliun, mm -hmm. didn't buy into this. There was a lot, that division Andres Triernicht, you remember yeah, yeah, him? I remember. We used to call him Dr. <laughs> no. The Conservative Party. We used to call him Dr. No, Andres Triernicht, when he was part of the And, and at that stage, there was also the PAC, although they were much, uh, they were much more important than they are now. Mm. And the ANC didn't like them very much, but there was the IFP as well. And in 94, there was obviously all of that violence too, which we've 
we've forgotten largely in this yeah. country. You know, we I mean, here in Gauteng, it was it was it was pretty rough. Yeah, KwaZulu Natal. Mm -hmm. I mean, at some much. point, some people were imagining the killing fields of KwaZulu Natal. It was That's that right. bad. It was a period leading up to that, uh, uh, especially the Buipatong massacre as, in 1992, which almost scurried uh, the negotiations. In fact, uh, Nelson Mandela walked out of the, of the discussion because he accused uh, the the, uh, the government of Declerc, and Declerc is a commander at the time in chief of his forces, of uh, using a third force. Right. And 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 the hostels in in Gauteng mostly housed people of KwaZulu Natal who've come here on migration to get work as migrant laborers, and most of them were ally, were allies to to the IFP. So that that was a, a provocation of what some of the media at the time called black on black violence, mm -hmm. and it was really hectic. Well, he threatened also to withdraw from the elections. Well, he didn't. Remember, he didn't want to run. He didn't want to run until the last minute, you know. Mm. Uh, one of the things I'm remembering, as you say that, is compared to today, I mean, uh, you're asking us in Tatemutland, you're asking about uh, what was different then and now stuff. The election in 1994 was big and historic, but it was small in terms of the number of parties. Mm. There were only 18 <laughs> yeah. parties Can on that imagine? ballot paper, 18, one eight, until Mangosutu Teles, a few weeks to go, was convinced after some interventions by different types of... That's uh, right, they had to put a sticker on the bottom, they? had they? a stick, yeah. I have that ballot paper. Do you have they one? Pre have yeah, I have, and I framed it. It's in my study uh, with that sticker. Remember then, literally, 1994 elections, this country made it up as it went along. Mm. There'd never been a multi-party inclusive election in this country. Right. So you could, at the end, you could stick it out. They printed so many ballot papers that after the election, there were ballot papers lying around. Empty <laughs> ones, obviously. And, and, then, and then some of us took them and said, this, this will, is a memento. will tell a story. It's a memento. So I, yeah. so I want to just go into your own story here because you were covering this as a journalist. You were someone who was in the media. You were, you were interviewing people all over the place. But what was the mood of the country like? Because again... <laughs> For people who just read the history books, and I want us in these Democracy 101 episodes to really get to grips with what it is that we stand for and what we care about in this country. Yeah. And in 1994, we had a very clear vision of what kind of country we wanted. I mean, there were disagreements about little things on the sides, but people lined up, and they went to the polls, and they participated, and there was a general feeling of the country moving forward. You know, the country, I don't know how else to say it, but the expression that comes to mind now as we're talking, the country was literally on edge because there were forces who didn't want an end to apartheid and a beginning of a new era for South Africa did everything possible. The level of violence was, was, was interesting. Some polling stations were bombed. Those that had been set up by the then new incoming IEC, Electoral Commission, which had the likes of uh, Judge Johan Krichler as one of their of their uh, uh, commissioners, and 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 uh, they 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 did everything they could, uh, 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 guys, to 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 really scupper the whole process. Do you know that uh, the the day before the 26th of April '94 was a special votes? For you know, for the army, for the police, and for old people and disabled people and stuff like that, and they put a bomb at, at the then Jan Smart's airport, today's Oar Kambit National Airport, because a new flag was put up. The new South African flag was hoisted. The old uh, South African flag was removed, and they planted a bomb next to it to, to bring it down as a form of protest. 
And 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 I was one of the reporters at 702 at the time, Eyewitness News who covered it. I was not the first on the scene. I think David O'Sullivan might have been, our, our colleague was one of the first reporters on the scene. That flag stood defiantly after that bomb had gone off. It didn't come down. Mm. There was a bit of damage to the building. You know, so so people were on it. People didn't know. Yeah, completely. yes. Yeah. I mean, there were. Num- this is just two examples I'm citing. Other things were happening elsewhere. Uh, uh, for example, the weather in some parts of the country, like in the Eastern Cape today. Uh, then there was no Eastern Cape. I think it was in the Transkei. This is guy. The weather was not great. Some uh, uh, polling station that had been made, they were blown away by the by the weather. So so it was. Uh, you had the, some nat- natural challenges. You had political challenges. You had the. Th- you had the reality of violence. I mean, I got to Soweto at about 3 a.m. in the morning in the eyewitness news car to begin to build up to this, just to driving around. I mean, the police were everywhere and 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 the soldiers, but it was very quiet. I mean, there was an excitement as well in the air. Yes, there was disagreements about what will fit where and stuff, but broadly, uh, it was really a, 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 a what do you call it, in... Um, a consolidation, so to speak, of the difference into into something that everybody had to compromise something. Mm. No single party could come out of those negotiations, those multi-party negotiations, without having compromised something. We may not know all the details of who gave what and how certain things were given up, but everybody had to leave something outside the room and say, okay, fine, I'll bring only this one. We can leave that one aside. And everyone had to do that. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. I mean, Nelson Mandela said, if you're willing to negotiate, you must understand before you go in, what are you willing to compromise on? What is non-negotiable? So as soon as you start the negotiation, you say, this one we don't touch. It's not negotiable. Mm-hmm. This one we can. That's the sense one got. And remember, during the first round of Codessa talks, uh, we had um, uh, 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 AWB leader Eugene Terblanche and others storm the Kempton Park venue and they with invaded, armored vehicles. Uh, yes, and they invaded Mahi King and then the, yeah. the Bob army, who had been armed by the apartheid government, said, no ways, now this is the end they of it. Them. They shot and killed some. And it was like, where are we headed? So the country in the build-up was on edge until mm. that day. Many people believed. Some people really worked very hard for, for a peace accord. I don't know if you remember, South Africa, mm. all the political parties, including Mangosutu Teles who came in in the right end, had to sign and commit publicly to a national peace accord Mm -hmm. to say, I will do everything as a political leader to make sure that my followers, my party members will not behave in a a, a violent way. Nelson Mandela went to Durban and did a rally and he called on everybody to throw their arms and spears and guns to the sea so we can work together. So you could see the country was really on edge. People don't remember this stuff. Um, I don't remember very much of this and I actually I, I read a history book every now and then, but you hear a lot of politicians now, maybe people who weren't there to experience it, saying, ah, oh, no, but you know, that time of compromise and that time of negotiation and that time of peace accords was a, a sellout. It was a, it was a, it was weak tea. It was a cop out. Yeah. yeah. You hear these people saying that was a mistake. I mean, how do you respond to that having witnessed this stuff yourself? Well, you had a choice. Like always, we do have choices. You go one route, which was a route of conflagration, civil war. This country could have, if you haven't done the negotiations, could have ended up in that route. Because people were armed and people were ready for war. And people had shown that they are willing to kill, to stop, to stop. Chris Honey's assassination 
Just a case in point, in April 1993, almost tipped this country overboard. Mm -hmm. Now, do you want, would you have liked that to have happened? Okay. Exactly. So they know, imagine, put yourself, I always say to people like that, it's very easy for you today to sit here and analyze and say, ah, they took the easy route. Put yourself in the shoes of Nelson Mandela, prison for 27 years and everybody else, and everybody been in exile, the OR tumbles of this world, including the late Chris Ani and all of them. Put yourself in those shoes and say, you're sitting there, what do you do? Do you let the country burn? itself to hell or do you say we've got something here beautiful let's salvage it there are certain things we can let go of to build a better country so you can sit here today as a young person and say oh it was a cop out there was no cop out it took courage to look into the eyes of your enemy and say i will work with you i will live with you if you do this and do this one of the things is we will have one man one vote one woman, one vote, majority rule. And once you did that, the National Party had no chance in hell to stay in power. Now, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And the ANC insisted on it, insisted and pushed and pushed. And the National Party on the other side said, fine, we'll do it. But we need you to drop, uh, to stop Mkonto, we seize the MK, and you must stop, you drop your arms and cease fire. Other people in the ANC didn't agree. I mean, Chris Arne went in public and said the way it happened, he thought it was a big compromise while it was too early because the other guys were still armed. So there were those tensions, but it mm. was a reality. You, and as South Africans, you had a choice. And I believe we chose the only better option for this country. Otherwise, you and I would not be sitting here with cliffcentral.com yeah. right. mm-hmm. today. And there would never have been any other way. Yes, we have challenges today, but they have not been created solely by compromises made there. Yeah. They've been created by our lack of good governance, our lack of capability to implement Most, what we Mostly agree things on. that have come after them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a heritage, we have a history, we have a legacy, but we could have done much better uh, in building a different uh, path. You know, to, to uh, someone as young as I am, who was most probably, I was five years old in 1994, so I didn't know heads from tails, really. Uh, all of these things were happening around me. Now, when you come into contact with someone my age now, uh, and we look at the the political landscape, the just the lack of leadership in all of these things, uh, I, I think it's it's it makes sense that some of us have the opinion that ah, those people they sold out and whatnot, which is why we are put in the position that we are in right now. Seeing as you were there and you saw these things firsthand in 1994, what are your thoughts on the deteriorating nature of this country? Because I feel like in 1994, we were headed in the right direction. At some point, we started regressing. A couple of things. One is, I use that expression as well. Mm. Lack of leadership. Hey, we have leaders in this country, guys. We have leaders. They just need to stand up and be counted. Okay. And, and if you look at every field of, uh, of society, okay, we have leaders. But unfortunately, the, our politics was taken over by the pursuit of material possession and greed because people saw power as a route to access resources. Mm. How do you explain the corruption we saw during the pandemic with PPE. People's lives are at stake mm. and people are stealing money. Mm. How do you explain that? Mm. It can't be explained by politics. No. You can't explain it by ideology. Mm. 
It's explained by human behavior. It's greed. Greed, yeah. It's what's driving it. And that's really what is taking a hold of many of these sectors. That is why today councillors get killed mm-hmm. in South Africa mm. when they stand in the way of certain contracts. Right. That is why today we have the so-called mafias, construction mafia. Mm. They come in armed into your business and say, you've got this project for this bridge. We want 30% of it. What's driving that? It's not politics. Mm-mm. It's greed. It's human behavior. So what has happened over the last 30 years because of a lack of strong leadership? Leadership, we have galore. Mm. Nobody has stood up and is bold enough to have the courage to say, this will not happen under my watch. Yeah. Nobody's done that. Mm-hmm. We sort of mollycoddle each other. We have state capture commissions. We spend a billion rand and things get done. And we're still waiting for consequence. Yeah. We have little bits of pieces here and there. The SIU, the program, the, pro, the president gives a proclamation. They go and re, get back some money and then some people get, but it's, it's, it's not going fast enough. It okay? So we have leaders. My, my, my uh, sense is that we need good leaders, the real strong leaders to stand up. And our leaders must say, not on my watch, okay? How many of the ANC leaders, the governing party, I'm using him as an example because they've been governing this country for 30 years. Yeah. How many of them were mentioned in very compromising ways by uh, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo in the state camp to say, this happened, we question this. Besides the systems of government and do this, you must fix it. But these names, something more must happen here. Yeah. They were mentioned there. The ANC spends time with its integrity commissions. Are we looking into it? Yeah. Are they going to be candidates or not? Nothing no, happened. you need bold leadership. Mm. And that's what we're lacking. You need to say, hey, you know, Thomas Sankara, I, I had the fortune of interviewing Thomas Sankara in 1985 wow. when he visited Mozambique wow. on his way to China with other journalists. And, 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 and he had stopped by and Samora Machel had invited him. So one, I was one of the few journalists who interviewed him at the airport. And I asked him, I mean, it was like close to the anniversary of his military coup in, in Burkina Faso. Because that's when he changed the name from Upper Volta mm-hmm. uh, and then kept it to Burkina Faso. And I, I asked him what were the main challenges and stuff like that. And, and, and the biggest thing is that he said we need more boldness mm. and sometimes madness to get certain things done to change our society in a fundamental way. Yeah. Many people don't know this. Sankara used to walk to work to the presidency. Mm. He used to leave the presidency and have his guitar on his back and go to a local place in Wagadu with young people and meet them. He never drove in a Land Rover, Mercedes-Benz, never. Mm. He sold all of those uh, vehicles when he took power. And he only allowed a few Peugeots and Renaults for many. If you want to a car, you can take that. He reduced that whole thing. He said, no, you have to be with the people. When he died and after they killed him, they found that of his assets that you could count was a fridge and a guitar. Now, that's yes, a revolutionary leader. Yeah. He was bold enough. They were so scared of him, they killed him. Mm. But many mm. people look at Sankara like it was some romantic kind of thing. It was hard. So yeah. until and unless we have bold leadership, Samora Machel was bold. That's why he was killed. Mm-hmm. That plane crash, people think I'm sounding crazy when I mention it all the time. Yeah. It was not a plane crash. It was a plane crash engineered to kill them. Yeah. Because there was no other way you weren't going to kill Samora face to face. The guy was a soldier. Yes, he made mistakes. He wasn't perfect. We lack that today. We lack somebody like a Nelson Mandela when he formed Umkonto with Caesar. People forget. Nelson Mandela was not this lovely Davi. No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was limited. He yeah. was a revolutionary. He went to 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 um, Algeria when the with the the, the front of liberation of Algeria FLA. Mm-hmm. He trained in Morocco because they were fighting against the French in Algeria. 
He came back here and he introduced the M plan, the underground M plan of bombings and attacks at the time to build Mkontowisi's. Mkontowisi didn't just come out from, it no was way. people like him. Mm. They were courageous. And I'm sure there were voices Gareth at the time who said, are you sure we can fight this guy, this, uh, this army of abundance? Def- they were mm. definite. They took, they took courage to courage and boldness. We need that more. I think we need, we've got these people on stand up and be counted to say we want something different for ourselves and people must be bold and courageous. I belong to the 1976 generation. Mm. I was at Morris Isaacson High School. Tsietsi yeah. Mashinini was my leader. People like Matthew Murube were my leaders. When they came and said to us, we're marching, I didn't know what is a march, Gareth. We never had much before. Mm. We are marching against the use of Afrikaans as a medium of instruction and against Bantu education, civil education. It took courage. When the guns started firing. That's why you had to go to Mozambique eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But when the tear gas, first time we smelled tear gas, when the helicopters were over Soweto and Soweto was burning and stuff, we didn't stop. Mm. We didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. Only thing we wanted, apartheid must end. And it's interesting because uh, my parents always let me know, like the 16th was just the first day. Yeah. The 17th and 18th, oh. 19th yeah. were a nightmare as well. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to my uh, follow-up question. Leadership is one thing. That is something we definitely need. But I continuously point out that as everyday South Africans, we've also got a massive part to play in bringing about this change. I don't, the way we can easily point to people like Tieti Mashinin, there were a bunch of you behind him too. Yeah, yeah. And these were, as we would say, everyday people. What role do we have as everyday South Africans? As as well, devoid of leadership as we might be, we yeah. need what what role do we play in bringing okay. about this change? I'm gonna sound old fashioned. Please do. Uh, we all break the law mm. every day, but we demand the rule of law. I'm just gonna use a simple example. I mean, how many of us drive past a, 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 a traffic light that's about to change? Mm. What does Ember mean mm. technically? It means warning, stop. But how many of us will go, that's breaking the law. We don't think so now. We think it's the the smallest things that happen. We tolerate the smallest things that are not right. Right. So it's up to us as citizens to do our best to do the right thing. Mm. Whatever that right thing is in your space. Okay. That's number one. The second thing is what future do you want for your kids? Do you want your people, your kids to live in a country where one day, anybody can walk into their home if they have a home in future and demand a, a, what you call a protection money. Because that's where we're headed. Mm. It's happened with business. Business, small business. Black-owned small business. Not just uh, just business, but small and small. They are in trouble today because they get a, a deal somewhere. Somebody knocks on the door. Say, Gareth, I need a share of this. They haven't worked for it, mm-hmm. but they believe they, they deserve it. Now, if you allow that to happen, it's going to come into your home one day. Mm. It, it's downhill. So we as citizens have to stand up for the right thing to the best of our abilities wherever possible. And imagine what kind of future we want. And look at you, look at him and say, is he or she the right person to be able to to guide me? Stuff like that. For example, we should be demanding with more voices a new electoral system in this country. The proportional representation has served its purpose. That was a, one of the compromises, Gareth, of 1994. 
What it means, a party gets so many votes, it's equal to so many seats in parliament, okay? Then the party says, Gareth, we love you, you're our leader, we send you there, even if Gareth is some idiot or something. Yeah, you, you can be number three on the list, as yeah, long the, as you're on the list, you go in. Yeah, the party will yeah. choose you, okay? We should go to a different one, where, especially at certain levels of government today, local government is, in, is a shambles. Mm. I don't know how many municipalities are disastrous. Some of them have failed already. All of them, yeah. okay? So, so you need to say, no, no, no. I want to know who's going to be my mayor. I want to know who's going to be my councillor. Then you have, they count to me. So every month they come and say, this is what's happening. We can, act, we can reach them. What, mm. what, what, what they call constituency-based types. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. But it's you who must demand it. Mm. Put pressure. Hit the road if you have to. Mass democratic thing is not a thing of the past. Mm. Remember, Gareth, uh, what, what is a square called in Cairo where the young people occupied it during the Arab Spring? It was young people of Egypt, young oh, yes. people of Tunisia. Yes. And they use this. They use this. Facebook, yep. They use things because they, and, but when the government realized that they were using social media and the BBC and the Skies Arab and, and uh, Arab Spring, they were ma making videos here and sending them out to the world when the government has stopped uh, people from giving information out. When they realized that it was happening, they started blocking the signals. Mm -hmm. But by then, the world had seen. seen yeah. And they occupied that famous square. I'm trying to remember the name. It's in, right in, in front Cairo. of the Cairo Museum. Yes. Um, what happened after a few, a few weeks of that um, day? The young people said, no, we don't want this military, guys. The soldiers protect. The government sent the soldiers to go in and, and, and intimidate them and harass them, and harass them. They turned up. They were putting flowers on the cannons. The soldiers became part of the protest. Mm. Do you see it's possible? Yeah. The, the might of the military became that change by supporting the people. So if you want to stand up for something new, different, whatever, you can. It's not an old, marching is not for old. And not, you don't have to destroy anything. Yeah, just you occupy. They just sat there in that square. They said, we're going nowhere until there's change. And there was change. Young people of, of Egypt, not 1976, mm -mm. talking about now in the years 2000. Mm. Yeah. So it's possible. Yeah. So we can, you can. You can, you, I mean, I've got, if I'm lucky, I've got another 30 years on this F, mm. okay, of, of life. And that's just, that's just life expectancy. That's what, it, well, it could happen tomorrow. I don't know. Mm. But I'm saying that's really what it is. Now, Tahrir you, Square is what it was. Tahrir Square. Thank you. Guys. Yeah. But you've got a future mm -hmm. longer than mine. So you're going to let this beautiful country be, be governed in a way. Yeah. You, can't, you can't. But we've allowed greed and we tolerate a lot. We tolerate a lot of stuff. We turn the blind eye, even at the minimum of shabby customer service. Mm. We just, you know, and politicians stand up and say things. That, yeah, we will, we will, we will, but they never do. So, yeah, and apparently, we it. you know, load shedding is not that bad, remember? Uh, no, oh, well, no, but somebody said the other day, load shedding is not a death sentence. It's not a death sentence. Um, it's not so the end of the world. That was a, uh, an ANC member of parliament. But I want to talk to you about the end of your tour. So you've been through the country now again for the second year in a row where you've gone to these places where no one goes and reported on the stories that are just not sexy or interesting anymore, but are happening, mm -hmm. really affect ordinary South mm -hmm. Africans in big ways. And then you get to Cape Town and then you see all these parliamentarians and their finery. You see these people who are supposedly our leaders from all these different parties who are meant to represent us, who actually, between them, don't even get enough votes to equate to half the population. Between them. Mm. The biggest party in there has got 10 million odd votes. That's a sixth of the total uh, population of South Africa. To today's population. No. Yeah. So these are, these are not uh, the, the, the same people as the people you've been interviewing. No. Open a tap and nothing no. comes out. No. So what happens when you see them standing there and 
blowing hot air at each other and convincing themselves that they're doing a great job. You know, I I always have one question. I even had it uh, yesterday when uh, uh, the Gauteng legislature was opening uh, with the SOPA address. I looked at that and kept on. I'm thinking, do we actually need all this pomp and ceremony? Do we actually need it? We do it because it's been tradition. We do it because, you know, it's something that was imported from England. Do we need it? Has any, any of them asked themselves that question? Because if you do ask yourself, you've budgeted six and a half million rand. That's what we were told to do this event. Last year, you budgeted five million. I can't remember how much of that five they spent. You have a parliament that's sitting in the city hall of Cape Town. Your own building has been bent and you mm. still have not done anything to fix it until now. And you're here. So I thought to myself, do you actually, are you prioritizing the real stuff? What really matters to this country now? It's not this pomp and ceremony. They have to do it. To open parliament, yes, but you have to do it in this way all the time. And That's then, a thought and, and, that and comes the, to mind uh, uh, for me. And I looked at this, I'm thinking to myself, someone, how many million, 12 million South Africans go to bed hungry every day? Mm. That's six and a half million rand there. I don't know how many people could feed. Just basic, basic nutrition, nutritious meal. Not, nothing fancy, not a banquet, just something simple. Yeah. I don't know how many mouths you'd feed and they would go home happy and say, wow. Thank you very much. Homeless people around the corner, not far from the precinct of the city hall. They need a home. You promise homes and they are there sitting, sleeping. So do you actually need what you're doing? You can see those squatters from the front of the city hall. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You can so, see them. Yeah, yeah. The ones at, at the castle that yeah, you were yeah. talking so about. So my question was, always, even last night, I mean, uh, I, I, I have no qualms with Panyaza Sufi myself as a person. And, and I just respect and like and admire sometimes his passion. I don't know where he gets all the energy. I mean, being a politician is very hard. Just being a politician, forget being a premier. But I'm, I was looking at him and I'm thinking, do you need this? It's a province. Mm. It's the economic hub of the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. Johannesburg is with potholes like you won't believe yep. when you drive around. Have you been to the CBD recently? I, 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 I've, I've avoided it for you must a go. very long time. I drove, I, I go. Just, I drove through awful. two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bree Street, after that explosion, I went there the other day and I parked and I walked. You know, because it's something to sit in a studio for us and talk yeah, about yeah, things. Yeah. I do that. I walk. You go to Park Station. Prasa has done some good job there. It's, it feels safer. Mm. It's cleaner. Yep. It works. It operates. Yep. It's not stinking anymore like before. And there's a bit of order. I don't know what who's who's in charge of just using Park Station as an example. Mm -hmm. But you go out of Park Station. You go into the CBD. It's, I mean, that's not... Johannesburg is a capital city of the economic hub of South Africa. Mm -hmm. It's the fourth largest GDP in Africa. And you've got the streets like that? Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah, well, how do you explain that? Mm. Then you've got a council that sees the vote of no confidence in the speaker, a vote of no confidence. They just worry who's going to take what and what. Mm. The city is falling apart. Yeah, we've got, is, uh, you've got 700 odd buildings that are supposedly in the hands of people you're not supposed to be. How many fires have you had downtown Johannesburg? Lots. The capital city of your economic hub. And then we hear about people trapped, trapped in those apartments, burning kids, oh, dying, so, smoke so, inhalation. So are you focusing on what matters? Mm -hmm. That's the question. And I don't think our leaders actually wake up every morning and say, what matters today? Mm. They wake up and say, okay, what can I do, whatever, to make sure my party remains in power? But this is why... That's the wrong focus. This is why Jack and I were talking in the first hour of the show this morning about how young people aren't disinterested and apathetic. No. They just look at the politicians. They go, the, the things these people are talking about are not the things that we care about. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's a different 
universe. And I know that the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has to get up there and say, well, we did these one or two good mm. things. He has to. What else is he going to say? Yeah. Mm. He can't get up there and say, yeah, we did we've, nothing. we've totally screwed up. We've made <laughs> all, only mistakes. Yeah. What's, uh, please, the speech is going to be five minutes long, and then uh, he's, everybody's going to say, yeah, we told you so. But all the things that he said are not helping people on the streets of an average South African town or city. Not in the slightest. Right. And you go around and you talk to young people. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the passion that Dan has in some respects. That's where I find there's a disconnect. Fine see, to, it's fine to be see, interested in yourself, but listen how Dan talks passionately about these things. No, you That's see, what we need. Yeah. You see, the thing is, uh, if you're not happy with the status quo, you have to do something to change it. <laughs> Complaining about it, sitting on the sidelines, is not going to help you. Yes, yeah, you know? I tell my kids, I got four kids, and I tell them, when you go and vote this year, you know my history, you know where I've been. You know, when you go and vote this year, don't vote. Uh, in, understand the past, yes, mm. but don't vote for the past. Mm. Vote for the future that you you want for yourself. Firstly, you're still young. You still have another 40, 50 years on this earth if you're, if you're fortunate, you know, nothing happens to you. Or maybe you're going to have kids one day. You must do that. Now, the reason one speaks like this, Gareth, is sometimes you sit there and you're disappointed to say, is this what we fought for? Mm. You think about it. I lost friends in Soweto in 1976. People were shot, killed. Some people got hit on the head by tear gas canisters and they became blind. Okay? I, I lost friends when I was outside the country were poisoned by apartheid agents and stuff. People were killed, okay? I, I, I was there on the morning of the Matola massacre when the SAD, SADF attacked a uh, uh, few homes, uh, houses in Matola uh, that were housing ANC and Mkonto Cadres, and they killed uh, 13 people, okay? I arrived in one of those homes and you saw the hate of the military there in the walls. I mean, every single piece of the wall and the ceiling had a bullet hole in it. And there was blood everywhere. Now you, you, you take that and you look at what's happening today and you're thinking, wow, did those people die in vain? Was it for, so that people can enrich themselves and people feel entitled to, to resources that they don't deserve? It's not their money. Mm -hmm. It's the public's money. Your money. It's Jack's money. It's taxpayers' money. It's not, they didn't do anything to make that money, but they demand it in a way or they handle it also very badly. Very badly, okay? Now, you're thinking to yourself, why? Okay, you look at um, young people today, they would seek um, uh, what you call it uh, to, what is it, just to numb themselves sometimes to say, ah, you know, uh, let's just do Munati Fela. Yeah. Let's just have fun, you know. I'm a piano this and what, what. That's fine. I mean, that's every generation we grow up, we will love music and stuff. But you, you have a civic duty. Don't call it a political thing. Let's call it a civic duty. You have a civic duty to make sure that your environment is great, mm. that uh, uh, your neighbor is good food. All of those things. Those are you don't need money for that. You know, health, uh, 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 mental wellness in this in the world today is at a very terrible stage. The pandemic worsened it. You know, the number of teenage suicides in our country between the ages of fifteen and nineteen is the highest in the world. More 15-year-olds to 19-year-old South African young people commit suicide today than any other country in the world. Right. That is a scary statistic. Because of the pressures. So, so now you sit here and you're talking like me, I'm talking, to her, but we have a problem. So what do we do? Okay. You have to do something. You have to do whatever it takes. It's not about going out and destroying things. It's about standing up for the right thing. I mean, if you're not happy with the leadership saying it, 
and noticing it and moving on is not going to help. Mm -mm. There has to be something. You don't have to be a political uh, party member. You can be in an NGO. You can play a role in civil society, mm. in your own community. You can go and mentor young people at a primary school or at a high school. Just do something. Just, just anything. Because you're making it better. Not all of us want to be politicians. Not all of us want to sit in parliament and listen to speeches and stuff like that. But it's important. But you can be a damn good lawyer and assist in changing a fundamental law that will protect children, for example. Like you see, this clause doesn't make sense. Then you can engage with the right people in your own space. You could be an accountant that you see some gaps. Go and knock on the auditor general's office and say, listen, my name is Gareth Cliff. I'm an accountant. I see. And I think there is something that I've looked at the act or whatever, whatever. I've seen something or I've noticed something. And you could be an, you could be an engineer. And go and knock on the door of ESCOM and say, I'm an engineer. I've got 15 years of experience. This is my country. I'm tired of load shedding and I want to do something about it. And don't shut me out because I don't belong to the ANC. Belonging to the ANC does not mean anything. You know, sometimes I'm thinking uh, some of the people in the ANC, they become so arrogant. They think South Africa belongs to them. Mm. South Africa doesn't belong to the ANC. South Africa belongs to all its citizens. Our constitution says so. The very first line, South Africa belongs to all who but live in it. It's worse than that. It's not even the ANC because there are, there are still, I'm sure, there are still some good people in there. But the problem is it's a small group within the ANC who actually think they own everything. And they, in some ways they do. It, it, I mean, we've got a couple of people in this country who are extremely, extremely powerful, extremely mm -hmm. wealthy, mm -hmm. very well connected. And they, uh, they've benefited enormously over the last 30 years. And they live a life that we can't, even yeah. we can't even connect with I mean, it anymore. I was talking to uh, Mwile Tsimbeki uh, yesterday on, on ENC and uh, one of the things he's, he's mentioned in an interview with the Daily Maverick recently is that the broad-based black economic empowerment has actually been a big problem because of what you just said. A few individuals have benefited and they were handpicked at some point. Mm. Okay, and we you know can, exactly the names. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we know. So, so, but then the, later it started as uh, BEE, it's a it's black economic point, then it became broad race. But he makes a point that it was actually started by white business, hmm. white business, Africana business, feeling that oh, change is coming. We benefited before, and we had the creations of the likes of Sanlam, for example. Now, what are we going to do with the African majority taking over? We need to make sure that they feel empowered. So you get little things and then they became very powerful. What about the rest of us? When they realized that ooh, this thing was too much niche, they slapped the word broad. If you go back and check the history of the it changed of this law, very little. It changed very little. Then you but you started having trusts and foundations and groups and people forming things and whatever. It really changed uh, changed very little. I mean, even the, the fundamental even structure. the unions. The unions yeah, used yeah. to be well, the unions have got investment companies. Now they're investment companies. They have yeah. investment companies. Unions have yeah. successful investment companies that own every kinds of thing, including in media. Mm. They they own. But um, the point is, if that doesn't work, it hasn't worked after thirty years. How is it going to be changed for the better? Somebody has to come up and say, we've got a better solution. We think this doesn't work. Let's find another way. And it's in the hands of the young people. You know, when Madiba said before, I think it was his last speech mm. uh, at a public place, he said, it's in your hands. It was that 46664 concert in Thank you very Hyde much. Park in London. It's Thank in your you. hands. Yeah. Now, Those were his last now, words. Take that. It's in your hands. And think about that in that Demutland. Mm. What, what is in your hands is your future. What is in your hands is a better South Africa. What is in your hands is you making a difference in the littlest way you can do it. Remember, it, it's, um, it's one little thing mm. and another one joins. And it all and it, becomes, and it, it adds into nice, you know, pieces of a mosaic.
Mm. You know, just imagine a beautiful mosaic. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Pieces, you know, blue, red, yellow. You join them. At the end, you've got this wonderful mosaic. It doesn't come together unless those pieces are joined. So yeah. your piece, that is piece, my piece, and other people, my kids' piece, and everybody comes together, and then you'll, you'll build this beautiful picture. Yeah. But if your piece stays aside, it's not complete. Mm-hmm. So you're not adding value. <clears throat> Find a way to do that. Do you know, do you know what I found? Um, is I think we, we don't have a, a level of bravery that is required bring about the kind of change that we want to see. What, well, what, are, you, what heard, are you scared of? What are you scared of? You know, the truth, truth be told, we are in a game of life and death right now. As far as our future is concerned, as far as our country is concerned, and I don't think there are enough people that are actually willing to put their lives on the line. We are, I think, more often than not, what I've found uh, amongst uh, people in my age group, we are so focused on us as individuals. Like, mm. I've got a job. I've got a car. Mm. I've got this. And I'm going to keep these things to myself mm. and look after them as best as I possibly can. And then basically live my life that way. Mm. We, we seem to believe that a lot of these things happen in a vacuum, but they don't. Mm. Because even in your gated community, you're going to have to drive out onto those roads filled with potholes and all of that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure how we can possibly yeah. separate that individualistic idea mm-hmm. of looking at things yes. and connect it to the collective that we are all uh, a part of. Yeah. Can I answer that by telling the story? I'm hoping you'll get the point. Mm-hmm. At Morris Isaacs in high school in the 70s, uh, 1976, to be exact. Yeah. Before the, the June thing in the early part, a couple of our colleagues at school, schoolmates, uh, girls had been harassed. Okay. As they walk home from school, people mm. walked from, from Morris. It's, it, Morris was, it's, is in CWJ, Central Western Jabal. Mm. People will come from Mapetla, Tladim, Letzani, all those various places, you know, mm. and, and we walked. It was, no public transport to speak of from these places to school. So you walk. There's no school pass, nothing. You walk. They were complaining. We are when we walk, some of them there are boys somewhere in one of these streets who harass us. And then it went on and went on. And uh, the the one day we I was part of the debating committee. CHC was our leader of the what do you call what do you call it to public speaking? Yeah. Mm. Public speaking at the bakery. So we were, we were having this and then this one of the ladies, one of the school uh, uh, mates, she says, hey, I'm scared of going home, you know, because of this and this. We took a decision. It's very scary. Remember, we are, how old was I in 1976? I was 16, uh, 10, 17 in August that year. We are, we're teenagers. Mm. Scary. But here, she's crying. We said, we'll accompany you. Mm. So we walk with her. And when you, it's a group of guys or girls, nobody touches the girls. So we walked through this part and we got there and she said, ah, they sit there. And then we see this group of guys, but they didn't come and bother. Now we're not going to be there every day. Of course. So we made a decision as guys that we will do something about it. And the THC said, no, we must find these guys and stuff. And then nothing happens. Nobody's complaining for a few days. And then later sometime, one of the girls comes through and she'd been clapped around and, you know, she's crying. They slept her around and stuff. And then the guys went out. You know, I, I'm tiny. You can see me. I'm a small guy. So I can't go in, into a physical fight just like that. Mm. So the big guys went out. They caught 
one of these guys, they brought him back to school. We trapped the guy. And the teachers allowed us because the teachers then remember corporal punishment in South Africa was in school was normal. Yeah. Don't look at me like that. Karen. Normal. So I was caned. Encouraged. I was caned like crazy. <laughs> me anyway, too. Yeah. So, so the canes were there. This guy, we, I mean, we felt sorry for him because he, he was caned until he begged, he begged for, you know, for forgiveness and stuff. And, that, and then we let him go. Okay. Mm. Police had done nothing. Remember? South African police at the time were just managing to harass you as a black person. Yeah. It. So after that, not one incident that had been reported. Those guys did not touch. That's my answer to you. Mm. When I was 16, I can't remember how old it was, but we're teenagers. Mm -hmm. You see? Here's a situation. Take action. Yeah. Were we brave? We were scared mm. for two reasons. The police could come. That guy could go to the police station and report us for assault. Mm -hmm. Of course. The police would come and arrest us. And being arrested by a party police those days was not, not was, fun. Was not fun. Yep. So, so we were scared. We did not even know the outcome. But there was one thing that drove us. We will protect ourselves and we'll protect our schoolmates who happened to be girls because they were vulnerable mm. to these guys. We'll send a message. Mm -hmm. It happened. And thankfully, there were, the consequence of it was there was peace for some time. Lack of intimidation. Mm. Okay? Mm. Because I'm, I'm showing you, I'm answering in this way because you mentioned the word bravery and stuff like that. Okay? If you look back at history, finally, think of revolutions. You've studied. You guys are very well, well, well read. There's not a single revolution in the world that was started by a whole nation. Mm. Find me one. Mm. Prove me wrong. Think of all revolutions. Just not, takes a few. Thank you. There's not one revolution in the world, uh, weather, whatever, that takes, takes. You, you can go back. You can go back. I mean, the, uh, uh, whether you agree with it or not, and with all its human rights challenges and everything, the, the cultural revolution in China was led by Mao Zedong. Some people call him mad and stuff like that. China today is a power in the world. Mm. And people died for that, okay? Yeah. Yeah. You may not agree with the method. I'm just using one example, mm -hmm. okay? You go to the Soviet Union. Russia, I mean, Lenin's of this world, okay? Mm. You go and you go, you go. I mean, Frelimo was founded by one man, Eduardo Monjana, who studied at Vets University before he went to America. Right. Then the Mozambicans, the Portuguese colonel, then he brought these guys together. Dara said, no, 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 you, we are fragmented. Let's just do something together. It's one man. A couple of guys, the rest is history. Mm. So you don't wait. If you really got something burning, it will drive you. Scared as hell as you are. Mm. Bravery is not a lack of fear. Okay. It's doing it in spite of that fear. Thank you very much. Mm. Can't think of a better way to end that conversation, but it's always great to spend time with you, Dan. Now, thanks Love for the opportunity, Gareth. As I said earlier, I don't take such opportunities for granted. I'm grateful. And gee, I got a lot out of my chest this morning. On yeah, oh, this good. was on unbelievable. You know what? It's, yeah, so, it's, so, it's so great. The last much, time yeah. I spoke to you was about your book. Thank you very um, much for that opportunity. Yes. I encourage anyone who hasn't yes, read it you. to read Dan's book. And he's a journalist. Of course, he's, he was once my boss, Dan Moyan. Mm. Yes, yeah. Back in the day. That's right. Yeah. It's a long way from taxfm to cliffcentral.com. <laughs> well, via 702. The, so, the you've work, done well. Our work is still ahead of us, Dan, as oh, you yes. just reminded oh, us. Oh, yes. Now, so. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And don't stop do. asking the questions. Yeah. It's yeah. Don't stop. So good to see you. Thank you Thank very much. Thank you very much. Dan Moyane, everybody. Thank that you. is very Democracy much. 101 Thank for this morning. We will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. We've got um, actually another uh, old friend of ours. Leanne Manis 
popped mm. by and I, oh, had, okay. I had a, a nice conversation with Leanne Manis uh, just yesterday. Wonderful. In fact, Wonderful. Pass my regards. Yeah, lovely to see her as well. Thank no, you. it was in fact last week. Last so thank week. you, Dan. Ah, okay. Very good. Uh, so thank live you. tomorrow, no show, but there's uh, Leanne Manis tomorrow morning and then we're back on Thursday with Pumi Mashiko and we've got, among other things, the burning platform. Have an excellent day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.